Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 31 of the Matt and Matt O-Skill Train podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rochford, and with me, as always, is my, or I should say, one of my co-hosts. Matt Zazuha. Matt, how you doing tonight? Great, buddy. How you doing, man? I am doing fine, thank you. And also, one of our new co-hosts, Johnny from Automus Trains, or the Automus YouTube channel. Johnny, how you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful, gents. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Are you uh, excited about tonight's uh, topic? I'm excited. I'm excited for our guest. I'm excited that I threw you guys off with your intro. It's all a good night. Thank you. <laughs> You're now off the podcast. I'm fired. Good it, was nice. it was a good run. <laughs> all right. So uh, before we get started, just uh, really quickly, uh, just go through a little uh, our little merchandise thing that we do. Uh, we don't focus on that because it's obviously not necessary for everybody. But I will put in the show notes uh, the link to our merchandise uh, URL. Uh, it's way too big and confusing to tell you what it is. But but uh, the link and the coupon code will be in the show notes. You can get 10% off your order. And we got all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, sweaters, shirts. Uh, I actually have a coffee mug with our logo on it. Uh, so uh, lots of cool stuff out there. So if you're interested in getting some Matt and Matt merch, uh, well, that uh, website will be available for you. Now, let's get to the uh, the main event here. Now, tonight we have an incredible interview with our friend and uh, a huge up and coming and just kind of never stopping uh, Chris from RBP Trains. Chris, how are you doing tonight? Guys, I am fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Chris, thank you for you know, taking the time out to actually come on to our podcast. We really, really appreciate it. I got to get one of those mugs, you know, all of these late night videos I'm doing. I The coffee is always flowing. So I'll take one of those Matt and Matt, you know, podcast mugs. That'd be great. Okay. And I heard if you if you drink out of a Matt and Matt podcast mug, <laughs> mug um, you'll get extra subscribers. I don't I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Do I don't they know say if that? that's true, but uh, yeah. Really? They, they say the, mind's defect, the mind's defective then. I've been drinking like coffee nonstop. All I get is just weird jitters. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm drinking out of the wrong cup. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think it's all about what you too. put in the cup, Johnny. It's all about what you put in the cup. <laughs> exactly. It's not Matt and Matt O-Scale podcast brand coffee. That's my problem. <laughs> that's it. We don't have coffee yet, but you know what? That could be coming. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Black coffee hey, for I, Matt Z. Black I coffee, like coffee yep. so. <laughs> Cup of motor oil for me, please. That does sound like your style, Matt. That is his style, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. All right, well, let's uh, let's just get, unless anybody has any questions, um, let's get right to it, to our usual, uh, you know, interview questions. Uh, what I'll do is I'll ask some questions. Uh, and then I'll pass the mic uh, either over to uh, Matt Z or Johnny, and they can ask their questions to Chris as well. And then we can just talk about um, just kind of anything general in the O-Scale industry and, and stuff like that. So uh, is everyone ready to go? We're ready. ready I am ready. All right, let, let's go for it. Okay, so let's get right to it. Uh, again, I have some questions, and then I'll pass it on to my co-hosts. So my first question, and it's, Obviously, the very first question I always uh, ask our guests is, um, when and who got you started in model railroading? Yeah, for me, it started a long time ago. 
because ever since I can remember, my family always had model trains. My dad was the primary influencer in the hobby for me, but he had trains when he was a kid and his cousins had trains and there were just, I think I was surrounded by it as a kid, whether it was the ones that dad had at home or when I would go over to my uncle's house, they always had layouts. My dad actually had this cousin who had this huge N-gauge layout in his house. And I think that's what really put me over the edge as far as wanting to do this myself one day. I remember watching it and seeing all the scenes and the little towns and then going home and dad had this, this loop of track and a Mark's train set from the seventies, early seventies. And man, we used to just play with that all the time and not even so much playing with the engine. I liked goofing off at the track and putting stuff in the hopper car and just pushing it around for the longest time. So that was my earliest memory in the hobby. And then it just never left the family as we got older Dad started adding things, and then eventually, fast forward to college and marriage, you know, I went out on, into the world on my own, got my own job, and started collecting my own stuff. And uh, that's kind of what brought me to where I am today. So it's something I've always been into one way or the other throughout my whole life. Oh, that's awesome. That's interesting. And I think that goes along for a, a lot of folks out there in model railroading, is it usually comes from uh, a family member or family members uh, you know, same thing with me. Like, you know, my dad was into it and my grandmother was a very big supporter of model rewording and stuff like that. So it's something fun to kind of hand down uh, almost like generation to generation and to kind of like carry the torch with you and be like, okay, well, you know, when it's, when it's your time, you know, you get somebody else in it. It doesn't actually have to be, um, <clears throat> you know, somebody directly, you know, a son, a daughter, uh, it could be a nephew, it could be a neighbor kid, uh, anything like that. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I like to term it as a cradle O-gager. That's uh, gotcha. what I am. Right? I, mean, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I like it. But yeah, it's always fascinated me through my whole life. The It's the combination of a number of things. I think, you know, all four of us being into the hobby and the people who are listening to this who are likely into the hobby themselves. I mean, everybody has a piece of it that they gravitate towards, whether it's the history or whether it's the technology or the artistic side with with scenery. There is so much you can do with it. I think that's what makes it such a unique and huge hobby, right? Is all of those facets. And that's one of the coolest things is when you meet different people in it, everyone kind of has their, their niche. You know, I have friends that do nothing but work on trains and that's what fascinates them. And I have friends that scrutinize every little rivet that are in the trains because the history fascinates them. And I have friends who focus on these beautiful scenes and and I'm somewhere in between. I have no idea what my path is in the hobby, but uh, I just kind of wing it, and it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, uh, let me move on to my second question. Now, before I actually ask the question, I do want to make a, a point that the questions that I asked tonight or even questions that my co-host will ask, um, these are the answers uh, might already be known by folks out there that are listening to the podcast. Uh, and it's answers I might actually even know myself. Um, but we want to make sure that people that are tuning into the podcast, uh, maybe they haven't had a chance to to view your channel, Chris. Maybe they, uh, you know, haven't had a chance to, uh, you know, look into some of the, uh, you know, some of your uh, other social media and stuff like that. So they might not know too much about you. And this is kind of the reason why we're doing the podcast is to kind of get your information out there and uh, maybe ask, you know, we're not a, we're not a podcast that asks the, the tough questions. Like this isn't 60 minutes. 
But um, we, we, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, I mean, if you want, we can ask those tough questions. But oh, I can, uh, I can. I know. Uh, but uh, no, we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're just asking really like uh, uh, train related O scale moderating questions. And again, you know, people might already know the answer to it, but not everybody does. And we want to make sure that we cover even like simple questions. And uh, that's kind of why I'm moving into my second. It's a, kind of makes a good segue here as to the um, I was always curious about the origins of your YouTube name, because it's obviously it's Chris RBP. And of course, I understand where Chris comes from, but what is RBP? <laughs> That's a question I get all the time. And it stems from when I was a kid. My brother and I used to make our own home movies. We had this series we called Revenge of the Werewolf. And we had this, this dream of making these, these movies and then eventually one day going into TV or, or whatever, right? And we had this production company at the end, just like you'd see with Paramount or what have you. And we called it RBP Films. And it stands for you know, my last name, which is Reigns. So it was Reigns Brothers Productions, RBP, right? That's, that's where it came from. So fast forward to Christmas of 2020. I'm sitting there opening my presents and my brother gets me a gimbal. And he says, Chris... I think it's time for you to start your train YouTube channel that you've always been wanting to do. And I'm like, I don't even know what I would call myself. And he laughs and he's like, well, you already have the name. You've had it forever. He's like, just call it RBP Trains. Make it simple. Because I wanted my channel to be called Chris Trains. But with Chris's trains and things and about a dozen other Chris Trains that are on YouTube, it just wasn't going to work. I didn't want to get lost in the sauce. So I looked up a bunch of different aliases. I tried Topher Trains, all these other ones, and I kept coming back to RBP. So that's where RBP Trains came from. Three simple letters, nice short title, and it just kind of became the name that I have associated the channel with ever since I started in February. That, that's awesome. I love it. That As is the origin story. That is great. As someone who has two other brothers, I can definitely relate to that. But uh, we never had our own, uh, you know, studio or anything like that or, you know, uh, went that far. But um, that's that is really awesome. And, and you kind of answered my second question, which was going to be like, what was your uh, motivation uh, behind starting the YouTube channel? But uh, you kind of already answered that one as well. Well, there was a number of drivers in that. I mean, yeah, that's that's almost its own story in and of itself. It's being in the hobby and there was a number of years. I mean, this dates back 10 plus years ago when YouTube was a great way for me to see models I didn't own, like especially the big engines or Lionel came out with something that to me was unattainable at the time. And that's where, you know, you watched channels like Eric's Trains or a lot of others where they were showcasing these models. And that's really what started my fascination with YouTube. And I thought to myself, maybe one day if I can get my collection to a point where there's enough interesting pieces to look at. And I kind of, I think what pushed me over the edge was last year, you know, for those of you listening who watch other channels like Country Bunker or some of these where, you know, these folks are just having a good time. I, I was thinking to myself, what if I combined, you know, an, an enthusiast level collection with with a train party, right? Let's let's make that the channel. And that's really what inspired me to start. You know, I dipped my toes in the water with a couple early videos that were just, you know, me hiding behind the camera and running the trains around. Nothing wrong with that. And then eventually I wanted to step out. So, you know, I got in front of the camera and started just talking and 
it really became a lot of fun making the videos in addition to just collecting and running trains. And now it's about 50-50. I have as just much as as much fun running the trains as I do making the videos. So it's been a lot of fun doing both. Well, we're glad you uh I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are happy that you um took up the uh the camera and started uh, making videos because uh you were absolutely uh, a powerhouse when it comes to uh just uh you know just gaining so much traction uh and people just love your channel. Uh they they really love watching you and I think you I think with your channel that I noticed is I think you hit a lot of different uh, demographics too. Like, I think like even like kids just like tune in and be like, Oh, can't wait to watch that Chris guy, you know? Cause you're just, <laughs> you come off like so fun. You're like, if I was a kid, if I was like 10 years old, I would be like, Oh, I can't wait to watch this guy. He's just so energetic <laughs> and so like fun to watch. So, uh, except like for me, you know, I'm a little more on the, the timid side. <laughs> so, uh, my demographic is definitely the, the, the older crowd of folks, but, um, no, I think you, I think you definitely envelop like a lot of different, uh, people watching your channel and enjoying it. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. I think yeah. it's a challenge, you know, when you, as content creators yourselves, the first thing I think about when I'm planning a video for the week is how will each I guess each group interpret the video, you know, cause I have viewers that range from the youngest spectrum that, that Google, uh, as far as the analytics go, I have viewers that are as young as, you know, 13. I don't know what, what age Google goes down to. And I have viewers that are all the way up to, you know, 65 plus. So when you're trying to speak to a number of viewers ranging from all those ages, there's a couple of different things I have to think about, you know, what am I showing? Am I talking about what's relevant to these age groups? And at the end of the day, you know, am I having fun and presenting it in a way where everyone can enjoy it at the same time? And it's been a challenge to do that, but it's also one of the things I think that has been helping the channel. Because uh, to your point, I've met a lot of parents who will send me messages and, you know, I send t-shirts to kids and that's one of the, it's been one of the great joys of doing the channel for me is meeting a lot of these people. That's all. That is awesome. Yeah. And th it is 13. Well, 13 is the, the minimum age, uh, you have to be to create a YouTube channel now, <laughs> whether, whether or not that's definitely not enforced, but, uh, uh, you know, at least for Google, uh, the 13 is what you should be. <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of younger kids with their own YouTube accounts. So <laughs> Yeah. And for the ones that are younger than 13, a lot of times those are the parents that are reaching out to me like, Hey, my, my five-year-old loves your channel. You know, thanks for what you're doing. And that, that means a lot, you know, when you, when you hear that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Oh, what is your, uh, uh, I think I might already know the answer to this, but, uh, what is your favorite railroad and why this is a very open question. I think everyone hates this question. But I like I like asking it. So, well, my favorite railroad, you know, living in on the East Coast, uh, there has always been something about the New York Central. I think that makes it my favorite railroad. I couldn't tell you why. It might have something to do with it being the first railroad. I guess the first scale steam engine my dad ever got when I was a kid was a New York Central Mikado, and then my wife spent a year in New York in grad school. So I've just always had an affinity for that state. I know Matsy is beaming right now from ear to ear that I'm saying this. Uh, <laughs> yes, <sir>. Unbeknownst <laughs> to most people, it's not the Katy. Uh, so we can talk about that later, but it's actually not that railroad. 
Uh, but yeah, the New York Central would probably be the one when I think about my collection and the pieces that I'm, you know, that I, I value the most, a lot of those are from the New York Central Railroad. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, I, I, I like your answer. I like your answer. Although I think I, I would have, I would have said, I'll be honest, I probably would have said the Katie, but um, <laughs> um, for some little part of me kind of said, mm, maybe you're wrong on that. And that's uh, it's kind of why I asked the question too. So it's yeah, a hearing. It is. That's what a lot of people think. Yeah, they're they're always like, "Oh, the Katie, yeah, that's Chris's favorite railroad. That's a cool one. I love the Texas Special, but probably not my favorite railroad." Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you can't go wrong with the New York Central. Uh, what uh, what is your personal take on the the O scale model railroading industry for the next ten years? That is a great question. You know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I do know that we are in a time of great change in the hobby. And it's not, it's not a bad change. You know, the guard is passing where a lot of young modelers are coming into their twenties, they're coming into their thirties and they're getting to the level where they can purchase trains of their own, just like where I was 10 years ago. And meeting so many of, of these folks, they're getting tips from people that have been in the hobby for a long time, but they're also bringing their own perspectives. And that's exactly what the manufacturers are seeing. And that's what the manufacturers want, right? I think if you look at some of these models that are coming out, like Lionel next year, the big item has been the Strasburg, right? The Strasburg 90 was the most talked about engine that Lionel had in some time. And I'm not just saying this. I mean, I talked to Lionel quite a bit and I don't even think they expected the positive reaction that they were going to have over that. And there's this growing number of enthusiast level collectors and a lot of them are younger, right? And that's, it's something that I think we're seeing is this, these new trends. So while there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of noise about, oh, where's the hobby going? And that's, I'm sure we're going to say that one day, you know, as, as the next generation comes in underneath of us. But I think it's an exciting time to be in the hobby. I would argue to say that we're in somewhat of a second golden age of the hobby. You know, the technology is there. Innovation is there. There's an energy behind Lionel. There's an energy behind, you know, other competitors like Menards. I mean, look at the buzz when Menards puts out anything, like their engine that sold out before lunchtime or their gas station they made, what, a week and a half ago? And it blew up all the forums, right? It's this type of excitement that other manufacturers are doing in other hobbies, like when a video game console comes out or when a new bike comes out, right? In our hobby, it's no different. It's just finding, finding those niches. And that's what this next generation is going to do. And just at the York show not too long ago, you know, myself and you guys, we were all up there and a number of others. And it was the young, the young uh, population that grabbed a lot of the, the post-York commentary. It wasn't, oh, we saw this, you know, we saw the Class A from Lionel. That was great. Cool. And the second biggest topic was, wow, look at all the young people coming into the hobby. And if it was any indication or any reminder, it's that this hobby is going to continue to grow and to change. And the medium is here. It's on podcasts. It's on social media. And that's that's where it's going. So my outlook is positive, you know, and the manufacturers know it and they're adapting the suit. I love your answer, Chris. That was fantastic. And I agree with you. I think as much as people don't like to change, you have to change uh, because um, a rolling stone gathers no moss, right? Like if you sit around and stick to the same thing all the time, yeah, it, maybe it's what you love, but guess what? You, you're not going to experience anything new you're not there's not going to be innovations 
uh, and the the hobby's gonna gonna become stale. And uh, you know, again, as much as we we want we like things the way they are, um, things have to change. Things have to improve. And uh, we just we have you know, it's like it's, you, you got to get on it. It's like a ride, right? Like you get on it, it's a ride. You take it for a ride. And exactly. there's gonna be there's gonna be uh, lots of highs and there's gonna be lows, but as long as you're having fun and you um, embrace the change, uh, it's never the the hobby's never gonna be boring and there's always gonna be new people you know coming on to the hobby. Right, and and there's disruption. You know, think about in the automotive industry, everybody was all about eight cylinder race cars and now there's twin turbo V6s and now there's electric cars. Right, things are always gonna keep changing. And in our hobby and, and model railroading, it's no different. And that's across any scale, N scale, HO scale, O scale, G scale, yep. all, and all of the above. So you're, you're right. If you're in it for the ride, enjoy the ride. Yep. And adapt as the hobby adapts. Exactly. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to be there, you know, in the next, you know, hey, look, in, in 40 years, we're going to be like dang kids in their, in their psychic <laughs> powers controlling those trains. <laughs> you know, or so whatever, whatever in 40 years people are going to be doing to control trains. But uh, um, I'll still have my legacy remote in my hand. And, uh, you know, that's right. We'll, we'll limping those systems along at that point. Exactly. exactly. Parts. exactly. Clutching to your line chief apps when everyone's using like telepathy to control their trains. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I remember when Bluetooth was a thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now we got, now we got that red tooth. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome all right I'll, I'll 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 move on i'll digress uh so uh do you uh next question uh do you have a holy grail engine or you know you can call it a white whale engine if you want whatever whatever you want to call it uh that you've been like looking for like for the longest time when you're like i gotta have this i will search near and far for this do you still have anything like uh in your scope so I do, and it's all vintage. So the biggest one being the original post-war girl set. That is the number one item on my list, which is, I've seen them come up, but it's just something that I can't, I can't throw down right now <laughs> to get. But that is, that is my Holy Grail set. I would love to also own, at some point, the original 700E, right? But that's, that's a bucket list item. Those are those are the two big pieces that I'm I'm really after one day that I feel like if I had those in my collection, it's sort of those cornerstone pieces. Now, I have a couple of other pieces that I've gotten that that check a couple of the other boxes, like you know, the 64 773 or the the 763 pre-war Hudson. Those Hudson's kind of some of the cornerstones of the collection as it stands today. But yep, girl set and the 700E pre-war. Awesome. Great That's choices. What I'm Great choices. I can't wait to uh, see those on your YouTube channel. Uh, you know, whenever, you know, who knows? <laughs> next month, next year, three years, five years. Tomorrow. tomorrow if anybody's listening tomorrow. and they have one, you know, feel free to send it to me. I'd be happy to take it off your hands. There, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So I will ask one more question because obviously I want uh, my co-hosts to have time to ask their questions. Um, so I'll ask my final question uh and um this was a little special to me um i think it's important uh that we ask this question because uh here on our podcast we have um i think we have a good mix of people that listen to us we have a lot of uh, uh 
veteran folks. We have a lot of mid-range folks, and we have a lot of kind of like, uh, you know, kind of folks starting out. Um, and um, what advice would you give to someone starting out in model railroading? I love this question. One of my favorite questions you could have asked me. My advice to anyone who's starting out is to follow your gut and experiment with the product. And what I mean by that, that's what I did, right? I used the forums when I had to, if I got into a bind, but you don't learn if you don't try. I remember when I was doing my first layouts, the first layout I ever built was my was with my dad in his basement. We learned so much about track jumping and combining blocks and a lot of these concepts that you really have to get your hands dirty to learn. And what I see a lot is people reaching out and asking for track plans or people reaching out and saying, hey, what do you think of this? And that's great. You know, I think we need feedback. We need to collaborate. But don't be afraid to just do. Just just do things your way. Um, if I had listened to the advice of everyone, I would not have built the layout that I have in my basement. There would have been something wrong with it in the eyes of someone. And I'm really happy that the design is something that I did on my own. I thought about the elements I wanted to have, and I figured out a way to, to make them, to bring them to life. And I did it through trial and error. I put the, the layout on my floor and moved track around, and you know, it took a long time to figure it all out. But that is my, my biggest advice. You know, use the forums, call on you know, the veteran modelers when you need to, or if you need to figure out how to make a super tree, by all means, there's some great tutorials. I've been on the Woodland Scenic site many a time, but don't be afraid to do things your way. No, that's, um, that is fantastic advice. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, that means a lot to me and means a lot to our listeners as well, because, uh, you know, you, you don't, you don't know if you're going to be able to do anything unless you try. Right. And that's, that's basically what it is. Like uh, when I just a little quick story for me is when I first got into O scale model railroading and I, you know, I had my first legacy engine, uh, or first steam engine, uh, I was afraid to like open these things up. Right. I was like, I can't open this thing up. Like, you know, <laughs> it too. could be like this. I just like, I'm not touching this thing. If I open it up, I'm going to destroy it, you know? And here I am today. And I'm like, if something's wrong, whatever, I'll like flip it over my shoulder. It'll like land in the cradle. You know, I'll take, both, I'll put screwdrivers in both my hands. I'll just turn, turn the screws off. Like, obviously I'm exaggerating here, but uh, you get my point. Like I'm very, very comfortable with doing it now. And I think that's important is to get comfortable with everything. And the one, one of the greatest things about model railroading that I think just makes it special, you know, out of all the hobbies out there is that it encompasses so many different things, woodworking, painting, uh, uh, mechanical, electrical, like it covers so many things. And just by doing little things here and there, you learn so much and you get a little bit more braver and you start doing a little bit more complicated things. And lo and behold, bam, you got a really nice layout. You, you're able to fix that smoke unit. Uh, you're able to, to act, you know, get those four switches hooked up uh, into your command uh, control system it's uh yeah don't be afraid be afraid to take risks and i think like you said really important chris is watch those youtube videos and go onto the forums because there is really really smart people out there that have no problem helping you and 
I, I think Matt and I have told this to many of the people that listen to the podcast is if you have any questions about anything, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can reach out to us on our podcast. You can send us an email. You can go on our YouTube channels and you can comment there. Uh, we are always willing to help people who want to get started in the hobby and are kind of at a roadblock with, I don't know what to do. Um, um, there are people, there are folks out there that are, that are ready to help you. Uh, so don't be afraid to, to reach out. No, you hit the nail on the head. Yep. Lots of great resources. Yes, absolutely. Lots of great resources. All right. Well, I think I've said enough. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic over to Matt Z. And uh, I'm going to have him continue the, the interview. All right. So, uh, Matt, you, you asked some really good questions there. I, I'm not going to lie. You asked some really good ones there. Um, so I want to hit on, I got a couple for myself. I just want to hit on something real quick that, that Matt talked about. And um, for you guys who know, I mean, me specifically, but a bunch of my friends that he talked about the second golden age of uh, uh, this hobby and being kind of like the, you know, let's say just as an age uh, timeline, let's say 2010 to present. So you got to skip back a little bit for the first golden age, but any of you guys who know me, you know where I'm going with this is uh, late 90s to mid 2000s. Um, that was the really the first golden age that's when command really started to take off and really made a huge impact in our hobby and i think that's what the second golden age is doing for you know the folks that were born a little bit later on uh wouldn't you agree chris no i think you're right because in 1998 which is that you know that late 90s you you're speaking about that was when dad got that southern pacific gp9 which was the first TMCC engine that he ever added to the collection. And then it was just a few short years later, we ran that thing under the Christmas tree with a post-war transformer for like five years. And then we finally unlocked its potential when he bought the original Lionel TMCC command set. And yes, that was a time where there were so many engines being being made and there were so many different sounds. And I remember, what was it? It was a, it was a Southern Pacific Daylight. A GS, maybe the GS4, I'm not sure what it was. It was on their website at the time. And it was when Legacy was first coming out and the Odyssey speed control system and all these buzzwords that are big in Lionel. <laughs> and I just remember watching that engine and my jaw hit the floor. And then, of course, Johnny's on this podcast and he owns like 18 GS engines. That's all he buys. But, you know, the... I can fit through like four sheds. <laughs> but Matt, you're right. That was that time of, of flux. You know, this was, uh, what's his face? Neil Young chiming in and saying, hey, put sounds on these things and, and make them, you know, animate them, bring them to life. And yes, oh, people yeah. were in my local shop, just my small little shop. People would stop everything and pick up their kids and walk over to the layout whenever they would run one of these. And I just remember those sounds and bringing bring the trains and giving them so much character. And I, I would agree with you, Matt. That's when, you know, the first golden age being the post-war period, and that second golden age starting with that TMCC, uh, mm -hmm. TMCC experience. You are 100% spot on. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, another big thing in this is, like, you bring in the more modern electronics. You bring in Vision Line. You bring in Bluetooth. You bring in all these other cool things that, you know, it's like, like for me, like, if, if someone was to tell me, you know, show me your train, show me what they do, I'd show them a Vision Line something. I mean, Heck, you want to see what a train could do? I'll show you. I'll smoke you out of the room by showing you what a vision line will do. I mean, 
you know, it's like th- there's so many new things that these engines do. I mean, like, heck, you 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 blow the whistle and smoke comes out of the whistle. You you hit the bell and the bell moves away. It's so cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, when I'm having people over, to your point, a lot of them ask, Chris, you know, what's your coolest train engine? And I can't pick just one because some of them do different things, right? You have like mm-hmm. the Acela with its moving pantographs and you have the the Vision GSs with the cylinder smoke and then, you know, the Vision Hudson with its the swinging bell, like you just said, Matt. Mm-hmm. That's what's cool is that you have this diversity of all of these models and they all do these really cool things. So that not only does that, is it a great marketing tactic for Lionel and the manufacturers because it keeps you wanting new models, but it makes things interesting. There's not one train to rule them all and there no. never will be, which is nice. No, it's like, yeah, there's something always new coming around the corner. Got to keep it interesting. Oh, for sure. And speaking of that, uh, kind of being around the corner, I guess, uh, my one of my questions to you was, your collection is very diverse. You have literally everything under the sun, you know, modern, old, new, you know, pre-war, post-war, NPC, modern, uh, you know, legacy, TMCC, DCS. Uh, what kind of got you into having a little bit of everything? I, I guess the question I'm going to ask. Uh, the pandemic. And I can sum that up in a pretty easy, quick story. I was never into conventional trains once we got into TMCC. It's funny because I used to, my dad was always eyeing up this like Virginian, this post-war Virginian at the store. I'm like, dad, why do you want that? Let's get, let's get command. And I don't know what it was, but I had this epiphany you know, while we were all locked down and watching stuff on Amazon, I watched one of the the specials on, uh, I guess it was the Century of Lionel Toy Train, something like that. And it went through this, this history of the pre-war train engines through the post-war. And I must have watched that thing like 10 times in a row. I watched it on like a Monday night and I watched it the same night again, a second time, then a Tuesday, a Wednesday. And by, by the weekend, I was just, I had this list of engines that I really wanted to get into on post-war. So it was just last year that I got really into vintage trains. So a lot of that stuff came, came on very quick. And then with the channel, it inspired me to add trains. So, you know, it started with the post-war and a little bit of pre-war. And then MPC really kicked in after I started the channel because people kept asking me, Chris, do you have any MPC stuff? And I'm going to be completely honest on this podcast. In February of 2021, I did not know what MPC stood for or what it even was. <laughs> and I had to look it up. And I was in some Facebook groups and people were getting excited about MPC. And I was like, well, what is this? So I went to my store and I said, hey, hey, Jim, Jim's the owner of the store. I said, I really want to get into an MPC. I'm on an MPC kick. Show me what you have. What what, what do I need? And so he had the Alton limited set and he had the Southern Crescent steam set. I'm like, all right, let's let's try these. And that's when I dip my toes into MPC. And I'm like, the price is right. And there's so many to collect. And then, you know, there goes Pandora's box for the fifth time at this point, adding (laughs) these ones. So that's that's the answer of how I got into the vintage trains in addition to the modern stuff. Would it be kind of the same story with the brass stuff? Brass, I blame you. I blame meeting you guys. <laughs> I blame a lot of this on meeting you guys. Uh, hey, we did, hey, we're doing something right here. We're spending other people's money. Yeah, for those of you listening to this podcast, you know, Matt and Matt and Johnny are great friends of mine. And 
We spent a lot of time talking about trains and they have really turned me on to a lot of things I didn't know existed, especially a lot of the more recent stuff you've seen, like the Weaver or the Third Rail, things I really would never have paid much attention to. But you know, leave it to these guys to inspire. So that's, uh, it just, it keeps going. I, I'm not sure what's going to be next, what I'm going to be into next. We'll have to find out. Well, there's one thing, though, that turns you off, and it, it makes me kind of upset. It's Proto One. <laughs> <laughs> so Proto One, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing okay with Proto One. And, you know, it's, a, uh, it's more me than the technology. It's me learning the technology. I got to follow my own advice and be a little bit more patient with myself. That's all. <laughs> Well, hey, like uh, like Matt said, if you ever need help, you know where to come to. And that's who I go to, is you, yeah. every yes, time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, now I had uh, another question on the YouTube side of things. Uh-huh. And I, I, don't, I don't know, Johnny, I don't know what your questions are, so I hope I'm not, you know, dipping my toes in the wrong uh, section here. But um, How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. So, um, but uh, in any event... Um, your YouTube channel has really, you've exploded. I mean, like you said back in February, you started this thing and it's like, you got what? 10,000 plus subscribers already. How, how do you think that growth happened? I don't really know where the growth has come from. I think I had a couple of things that helped out. Number one is I had a couple of friends who had been doing YouTube channel or they work in marketing And I had gotten some pointers from them, you know, what are some things I should try? And it was really all about posting on a pretty consistent basis. I think that's what helped. And trying to stay relevant with things that I was seeing in forums or trending on social media around trains. You know, what were people talking about? What were people getting excited about? And I try to tailor a lot of my topics to that. And I try to just keep a lot of them open, right? I think that's been... It's more of a collaborative experience for me and the viewers, getting their feedback. And I read all the comments. I mean, I read every comment that gets posted. Um, and I, I try to take advice from my viewers and try to make sure that any future videos account for things they're looking for. Some things we can do and some things we can't. <laughs> some things I can't share on this, but <laughs> when you're dealing with the internet. But I will tell you, that's been, that is probably what helped. And then in June, I had put out a video where I ran a couple of articulated steam engines. And it's funny, I was heading to a work meeting and I had to take a thumbnail. I'd forgotten the thumbnail. So I ran downstairs. This is like 5.30 a.m. And I just picked up my Allegheny and held it up in front of me, took a picture, posted the video and didn't think anything of it. And that was my first video that, and to, to this day, is the video that got the most hits. And with that, I think it, it kind of pulled in a couple of extra subscribers with it. So it's just been sort of those things. I don't think I don't think there's anything really different beyond that. It's just been a lot of fun. I remember watching your stuff when you first started. I just happened to scroll th- scroll through them. I re- recommended them. I'm like, oh, uh, what's this? So I, I clicked on <laughs> uh, seriously. I clicked on the video. I'm like, oh man, this is cool. Yeah, I think the first one I remember really watching was the um, your layout tour part one, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool, man. I like this guy. Yeah, wow, those yeah, those were the earliest of the videos. Well, I guess the layout the layout tour video was the first one where I added the music intro. So I kind of look at that as being the a time of transition for the channel. And then yeah, we had any video before that was more of my experimental stage. Although I guess you could say the whole thing is still experimental for me. I don't know. 
still still trying to figure out what exactly I'm doing. It's been a good experience. It's really cool to, to watch you grow and like, you know, like you were saying earlier with people, you know, kind of reaching out. It's like, that's really huge. I know we talk about the community aspect both on here and offline, but seeing that is just, it's really cool to know that, you know, you're inspiring people to, to be in this hobby. It's just really fun to see that. Well, and so many people inspire me too. You know, that's the other thing is watching what other creators are doing. And I think there's a great synergy between so many of us, you know, I, we, we're almost like a little YouTube club and I, I, there's new YouTubers popping up every week that I've never seen. And it's fun then to reach out and get to know them. And then the veteran YouTubers who have been doing this for years, like Jason and Eric and just a number of them that have been out there forever and getting their, their feedback on, 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 and their experiences and watching how they've done things. Like I said, it's just been a lot, so much to it. And that, that's, that's where a lot of that stuff that I talked about with Matt about this, this new golden age of model railroading. A lot of it is this online presence. Oh yeah. And I feel like, you know, kind of like in this time, especially with the pandemic and everything else, it's like, you know, people using social media to their advantage and YouTube is a social media platform and that's what it's used for. So it's really, right. really cool. Go to a train show anytime you want. Just log in mm-hmm. and search for the engine you want to see and you'll find it. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. running it somewhere. Oh yeah. Or you can go, or you can go to, then if you like it so much, you go to eBay and buy it. Yes. <laughs> that's the dangerous part. This is how easy it is to get a lot of these things. Yes. And how quickly you can. It's also oh, the yeah. fun part and the convenient part. I think that's it for me. I'll pass it over to Johnny. Come on. You guys been hogging Chris to yourselves all night. You know, finally I get to ask my questions. <laughs> okay, well, thanks, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks wait, for listening, wait, wait, folks. Wait, no, wait. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, Chris, where can people find you? <laughs> Go ahead, Johnny. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, well, you know, it's it's been kind of like piggybacking off with you guys. That it is really an amazing time to be in the hobby to have this renaissance uh, right now of really getting a chance to see all the younger folks get into the hobby. And I think Chris is a great representation of that. Just, I mean, come on now, you can't go anywhere in this hobby without seeing his smiling face and his spiked up do. So what I want to ask you, Chris, since your channel focused so much, so much on the aspect of enjoying trains, it's not the accuracy. It's not about all the super duper features. It's not about being prototypical. It's just about trains and fun. And I think that's one of the universal appeals you have on your channel. So going off of that, what aspect, whether they be real or toy, of trains brings that twinkle to your eyes and a smile to your mouth? Well, Johnny, that's a great question. And for me, it's always been more about the models themselves. You know, I don't know a lot about railroad history. I always love hearing stories about it and learning from other people, but I couldn't tell you what train ran point on the you know, on the 3 p.m. to Cincinnati. Like, I couldn't tell you a lot of that kind of stuff. So for me, it's always been about the toys themselves. I think that's why I find it fascinating to look at a lot of these different pieces, whether it's a fantasy scheme that Lionel thought up or whether it's a prototypical model that's highly accurate. They all they all have a place in my book, in my collection, and they all have something that appeals to me. And, you know, I actually got my brother a train engine for Christmas that you're going to see in an upcoming video. And it's a Texas and Pacific 10-wheeler. And I guess the boiler color is is off. It's supposed to be this dark green, but it's this minty green. 
And even though it's wrong, it looks really cool to me. And I think that's what appeals to me. I'm not, I'm not so much worried about the accuracy of the models. I just enjoy running trains at the end of the day. That's what I like about them. And my dad, my dad kind of inspired that in me. We would go to the store and, you know, my dad, my dad doesn't know history about trains either. We'd see an engine that might, it might've been like a yellow Hudson that never existed, but he'd be like, that one looks really cool. What do you think, Chris? I'm like, I like that one too. And that's, I've always been that way. I respect that. I really respect that. And that's an aspect I think tends to get lost over time for some folks. Uh, myself, I can at least test to this, is as I got more into the world of scale, uh, I got more obsessed with like the details, the accuracy, the pro- everything being prototypical. And, you know, in, in a way, it's kind of silly because we're all O-scale three-rail guys. You know, if we can talk <laughs> about our prototypical stuff, but in the end, we're running trains in, on three rails. Highly realistic track, yes. High, highly realistic track. All trains run on three rails. So only and uh, oh, I said the S word. I'm sorry. Our, our <laughs> but um, it's gonna be put out. It'll be yes, put out. I did it. Yep. I guess. I guess I'm really part of the podcast now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, like it's I and I I got myself so stuck up in that rut of just getting everything that's pretty typical that I wouldn't even bat an eye at the the fantasy stuff and. Getting to watch channels like yours that focus a lot on the fun of the hobby, just the joy and just the overall enjoyment, the appreciation for the models for what they are and not for what they're supposed to represent, if anything. And that's what really keeps you going in this hobby is just being able to let loose and have fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with being prototypical. And if that's what you get your fun out of, then by all means. But sometimes as I've learned from watching your channel and watching many others during uh, since the pandemic is sometimes you just got to put away all the scale stuff and kind of just let your MPC run loose and just enjoy some, some good old conventional <laughs> fun. I, and I hear you. One of the things maybe that I do get a little picky about is that if I get a passenger engine, whether it's prototypical colors or not, I'm a stickler about having matching passenger cars. I am. That is, I think that's one of the, the problems I face. Like if I, I can't have a passenger engine without the full set of cars that goes with it. So I, I, you know, I can sympathize with people who, you know, maybe look at the hobby and are, are worried about, oh, I need to make sure this engine is color accurate. I feel you, buddy. Or I feel you, sister. You know, I mean, that's everybody's got their own way of of doing things, you know. I'm I'm the same exact way. I have to have the matching passenger cars. <laughs> I remember <laughs> the week that I did my daylight video. And I had the the scale GS and I had got the MPC daylight GS. And I thought to myself, I can't run the engine by itself. I, I have to have passenger cars. And I expedited those suckers. I looked left and right, up and down for those passenger cars and finally found them. And I delayed the video until they showed up just to make sure I had them in the video. Like that's how kind of crazy I got about it. So no, I can I can feel I can feel when people are passionate about certain parts of the hobby. I think we all have our things, right? I don't have an obsession over GSs, man. Uh, oh, no, Chris, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's not like you pick on me or or anything like that. <laughs> I'm sure you've got one on order right now, Johnny. I I have um I have several in the works, but that's what my addiction. I mean, my projects are my business. <laughs> he has one being repaired, one being painted, one being weathered, one on order. One that's sent, gonna, one that he's gonna order. One sent to space, you know. One's journey yeah. on the earth. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> well, kind of moving on from there. Since you've got such a a 
mass, uh, such a range of of trains in your collection, and so all different eras, all different periods, all different aspects of the hobby. If I were to say, Chris, it's your it's your night off. Do whatever you want, and I I, I send you down to the layout. And what what are your go to engines or consists? It doesn't have to be like this set this or so. Like what what do you gravitate towards naturally? Which ones are the to so called favorites of the collection? Another good question. So, and I finally got to do this the other night. I typically go for the post war F threes. That's what I go for. If it's just me enjoying the layout. There's just something about working the throttle on the on the Z4000. I like to put the engines on and just listen to them growl around the track. I have a couple of command sets I, that I like to run to. You know, like I'll grab, I've been really into my sharks that I picked up at York. I just can't get enough of those things. And then I tend to go back and grab different MTH diesel engines because I like to lash them up and put them to the test to just smoke out the room. You know, but it's that I think those are the ones I tend to find myself running if I'm not doing videos or if I'm just down there enjoying the layout. You know, my daughters come down and they pretty much occupy my elevated loops with their, you know, the frozen train and the Pet Shop Express. I don't really get to mess with those. That's that's their turf. But when it's just me running, it's normally those post-war F3s and then usually, a, you know, a diesel of some kind when I'm by myself. I like that. I like that. Good answer. Good answer. Those those post four F threes are are iconic. Um, which paint scheme out of those ones do you do you prefer? So I don't have a lot of different road names. I have the Texas Special, which is my favorite one. I have the New York Central. I have two sets of those, and I have the Santa Fe. So I mean, I just sort of rotate them. I like to I like to run the the New York Central and the Santa Fe just because they have the dual motors and they're like you know that classic. Some, that more classic uh, running experience. But I did put the Texas Special on just last evening just because I, I've i always loved that uh, that paint scheme on that one. Did you wear the shirt while you, were, while you ran it? I actually did have my shirt on yesterday. I, I wasn't sure. You know, you never know. When I go down there and start running, I never know if I'm going to start rolling, rolling video. But no, I gave myself the night off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, while we're on that topic, um, since we mentioned it earlier, what's what's the story behind behind the shirt? Why, yes. why, why that one specifically? So when I was on my post-war kick last year, there was something about the Texas special that I really liked. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because it was one of the harder F3s for me to find when I was looking for them or or what have you. And I started becoming obsessed with some of the, the highly rare sets like the girls set. And of course, one of the boxcars in the girls' set is the MKT 6464 boxcar. It says the Katie up in the corner. And I was at the shop and I was talking to my friend who works there. And I said, you know, I'm looking to collect 6464 boxcars. Now, what are some of the most rare ones? And it's like, the one you want is the Katie. That's the one you want. And when he said that, I'm like, what is, what is the Katie? So I looked it up and I saw the logo. And I'm like, that is one awesome logo. And I, I kind of wanted to, to turn it into a T-shirt because I'm like, hey, it's it's a shirt that I could wear amongst train friends, but also wear out in public, and it doesn't necessarily look like a train shirt, you know, like nobody. It doesn't say train or look out, here comes a big steam train. Or I just wanted it to be kind of subtle. And my wife, you know, she has the shirt maker machine thing that she likes to use, and she's really good at it. 
So we took the logo and put it on a shirt and I just started wearing it. It became my favorite t-shirt. And then when I started doing my videos, I started wearing it in the, in the videos. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep wearing this shirt. I think this, maybe this will be like my, you know, like in a cartoon, how the cartoon character wears the same shirt every episode. You kind of associate that look with the figure. And that's, that's what the shirt has kind of become for me. Like even when I go to train shows, a lot of times I'll wear the shirt just so that, um, you know, it makes me more recognizable if I'm going up to vendors or meeting people who perhaps watch the channel. It's an easier way for them to find me than if I were to go incognito with any other shirt. <laughs> uh, I'm curious if uh, if you did go to a show incognito, like your hair flat and have glasses on and have like a completely different shirt. I want to see if anybody would recognize you. Well, and I do wear glasses and I do wear a lot of other shirts. So yeah, that's, I could probably go in disguise just as myself, you know. <laughs> I'm just convinced your closet is, it's like a, one of those cartoon characters where it's a movable rack and it's all the same shirt except for like one really weird one. Yeah, before York, my wife made me the blue one. She's like, you need a different color. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to complain if you're going to make me the shirt. And of course, I have the red one that I use for the holidays. So my next video, I will be in the red shirt so that it's uh, it will be its second time on the channel. But yeah, that is really the origin behind the Katie shirt. It's just a logo that I I think is really cool. And it's funny when non-trained friends and, and people I know come up to me and they see the shirt, they're always, they always say something about the shirt. They're like, that's an awesome shirt. Is that a band? What is that? Like, they don't know what it is. Like it's, and I explain to them what it is. And they're like, that's pretty cool. Such a subtle way to make people ask you about trains without bringing up trains. I like that. Mm -hmm. I gotta make, I gotta, I gotta find a way to make the daylight like inconspicuous. <laughs> So I think make people ask me questions about it. You gotta yeah, see, if, if I walked around with a uh, with a shirt that just said Santa on it during the summer, people would be looking at me like I'm a weirdo or something. You know, people know the Santa Fe. They know Union Pacific. They know Big Boy and, you know. Well, I just figured I'd, I'd do it like you. I'd just call it Santa. You know, people would be like, <laughs> Santa? Like, dude, you're a weirdo. Yeah, it's the Fae, yeah. you know. Yeah. You could probably get away with, like, a Grand <laughs> Trunk shirt, you know. But The Fae, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I could get a, I could get away with, like, EJ and E. People would be like, EJ and E, what's that? They'd be like, is that a power company? What is that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. I, I love the story behind it. That's, that's really sweet. But, um, and then I got one last one. And you made mention of York, and uh, we saw a lot of really cool stuff at York. And we, we, we debriefed this in the last podcast, Maddie C. So for those who haven't checked that out, I, I highly recommend it out. I highly recommend it. But there's a lot of cool stuff that we saw and a lot of fun items that you could see and get to experience. Chris, another hard question for you. What do you think is one of the most fun items that has been put out in the oyster hobby just pure enjoyment factor for you personally hmm well there's a couple right i think that any of the new like i love the steam engines yeah, and not just the vision line steam engines like there's something about the scale even the semi-scale steam engines with the new technology and it's everything from watching them run at these slow speeds, you know, with these speed control systems, when you can watch them creep around. I think the appeal of a steam engine is so many things to so many people. It's the fact that they're relics from the past. 
It's the fact that there's many of them that we have in models that don't exist in real life. And to many, they're just a memory or document in a history book. And it's the motion, the mechanical, all of the mechanical pieces. Like when you can watch those side rods move around. And when you look at some of these, these newer models that have a lot of these details, especially like the big articulated engines like Big Boy or Challenger, I think a lot of people like to see those because there's so much motion. So when, I, when I'm running one of those around, whether you're running it fast or slow and you can watch that motion and you hear the sounds, I think that's what the excitement is to me. I think that's the wow factor for me is a lot of that technology uh, that goes around it, not only from the electronics themselves, but from the model itself. And that's one of the things to me that, and I would say that that's, it's not just me. If you look at the videos that most people watch, a lot of them are around those, those larger steam engines or those, those types of, those types of trains. People love to see those. I love to see those. And I think that that's, what's the most exciting for me right now. It's definitely entrancing. I, I remember when you did your video on your uh, articulated and combined with your your cinematography with just the slow just creeping by of those engines with not only the smoke but you see those drivers you see the pistons you see uh, the all the whistle steam and then you have the big haunting whistles and the chuffs it's just like it's it's like a it's almost like a as cliche as this comparison is it's almost like a dragon just going by you ever so slowly and it, it, you have this sense of awe but also a sense of respect and fear for it and i think, and I think that's what makes it magical well that's a really good analogy and one of the things that a lot of people like about big boy myself included you know i always or i always say that that engine is the king of the layout and whenever people are over and i'm starting different engines they always point to that one they're like can you start that one and it, it never disappoints someone when you hear that that low, droning, haunting whistle that comes out of it, just all that power. And it, when it's the biggest engine on the layout, you're right. It brings it brings them to life and it gives it a personality. And between between its size and its sound, it is. It is entrancing. I like how you, you put that. And I think when I, when I did the video, I thought to myself, do I run it fast or do I run it slow? And I think when you run it slow, it just has this. You know, almost it does. It instills fear. Like, and when you see it in real life, the the size and the fact that it can move at all, is just fascinating. Oh, for sure. And like like you said, it's it's got a it's just a massive hulking piece of machinery. <laughs> so that's why when we come visit you, Chris, I'm going to switch out your sound cards from your big boy and your O six O T and swap them and see how people <laughs> react to that. Oh. No, that's great, dude. That's great. I really, I really like your answer. Now, now I got. Now I'm thinking about a big boy. I don't have room for one now. Now you make me want one. Oh, there's always room for another train. <laughs> if if you're buying, Chris, then I, I suppose so. Around a big boy for all the podcast guys. <laughs> all right. You have. I'll, I'll take the Proto one, please. You have enough uh, GSSGs for collateral to find yourself a big boy, Johnny. No, <laughs> no concern there at all. What? Nah, not at all. Not enough. But uh, yeah, that's the end of my questions. Are there any uh, any any comments that uh, or questions anybody, including yourself, Chris, want to want to chime in? All right, Chris. So Johnny was talking about you know the fantasy paint schemes and how cool they are. Um, of the recent batch of um, fantasy paint schemes, 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll ask it two ways. I'll ask it first of the ones you own, what is your favorite? And then I'll ask you an, another question after that. So the ones I own, it would be the Niagara fantasy scheme and the 20th century limited colors. That one is my favorite. It was an engine I never planned to get, but when I saw it in person, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was so well done. And the fact that it sold so well tells you that other people must've thought the same thing. You know, it's a very difficult engine to find now. And I think it's because it, you know, they, Lionel did a great job with the more prototypical versions, and those are fantastic. But there was something about that gray color. It made a lot of the other components on it stand out even better. And that's mm -hmm. that's what drew it to me. So that's my favorite one. You know, the Challenger, I know the Challenger is one that is a bit polarizing to a lot of viewers. But when I saw that one in the catalog, it was those, I think it was the red accents on the drivers. <laughs> I was like, this thing is just too cool to pass up. And like I said in the video, when I did that, the video on that engine, it is one of the most requested engines when I have people over at the house, whether it's other people in the hobby or whether it's a group of kids, you know, like kids, my kids' friends come over and they're like, run the big yellow one. Or, and I even call it the hot dog. I'll be like, you want to run the hot dog train? They're like, run the hot dog train. You know, they love it. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was waiting for a hot dog to come in there. So uh, Sterling, if you're listening to this, here's your little shout out for your hot dog. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Ravenhawk. Yeah, Sterling, that was his uh, analogy. So I started calling it the hot yeah. dog. And I think that makes the kids love it even more because who doesn't love a great yeah, it's, hot dog? It's your, uh, it's your hot dog with ketchup and mustard. <laughs> it really is. It really is. All the it's, a it's a Chicago dog. Uh, it's, it's a Chicago dog. <laughs> I, I like I like that 49er engine. That's, yeah. that's actually one of my I know it and you're right, Chris, it can be very, very polarizing. There's some people that are just like, oh my god, just get it away. But um I actually think it's awesome looking. So just because it's so different and it's not something you would ever think would ever be like, you know, some some fantasy schemes are kind of subtle, right? And then some fantasy schemes are like wow, they really put that on that engine. <laughs> right. And, uh, right. <laughs> and uh, I think it looks amazing on that, on that challenger. And um, uh, I look forward to, I haven't seen one in person yet. So I look forward to seeing one in person. There's something about that, that paint scheme. I don't know. I've told Sterling this and he, he cackled with delight when I told him this, there is, there is something about the way that that engine looks specifically on Sterling's layout and your layout, Chris. I don't know what it is, but it makes it significantly more appealing to me. And as time, either I've genuinely started to like it or I've developed Stockholm Syndrome towards it. One of the two. But it it is... <laughs> I remember I watched Sterling's video when he first announced he got it. And I, I, I was in my car after work and I was like, what the heck is wrong with this person? And then and then eventually I, I've, I've learned to respect it. It is, it is such a bold paint scheme that... It, it's it's hard to to say no to it at this point. It'll look great on your layout, Johnny. Just gonna have to find uh, yourself one. Yep. I have too much orange, red, and black. I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is it in your is it in your checkout cart right now, Johnny? Come on, you can tell us. Um, uh, um, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I have five on pre-order. From I time traveled to get it. <laughs> you want your DeLorean real quick? Yeah, borrow the DeLorean real quick. But no, that's that's a that's a beautiful paint scheme. Then I had uh, one little sidebar question on that one was, okay, of the recent ones that are coming out, which one's your favorite? Like the Mohawk or the um, the uh, nine thousand series? 
Uh, those are just two I could think of right now. Yeah, the Mohawk is my favorite. It's the one I pre-ordered. Should be here in a couple months. So that is that's the one I'm looking forward to. And I did order the pacemaker cars to go with it. I know the pacemaker cars are not necessarily a uh, fantasy scheme, but they're going to look really cool behind that red engine. Oh, yeah. That's going to look beautiful. I, I think depending on how those turn out, I might grab one of those too. Because the the looking at it at the pictures I saw at York, that thing looks exactly like the render. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I was really, really happy to see it in person. Yeah, it's it's pretty spot on. The one in the catalog looked a little weathered. So I wasn't sure if that was going to be the production run. The one I saw at York was crystal clean. I mean, a squeaky clean. So I, it, I'm good either way. I'm, I'll be happy right. just once the thing shows up. Yeah, it's it's definitely a pretty one for sure. But uh, yeah, that that that's all I had. I was just curious on that note on the fantasy stuff. Okay, so I mean, we're over. Uh, we're definitely over an hour now. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead and just get into some uh, closing remarks. So, uh, Johnny, I'll start with you. All right. Uh, just put me in the hot seat there. All right, Matt. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, no, it is. it has been an absolute joy to be able to talk with you, Chris, uh, and to get your insight on the hobby, uh, your perspective on the way the future is going to go, and just hearing, uh, being able to joke around with you and get uh, made fun of for my daylight obsession as always, but, um, you've been, you've been an absolute joy to speak to and uh, a great friend to have. Um, uh, if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't have made my layout tour video. Uh, that one, I, I literally sat down and I watched your video, I think eight times and dissected every single way you handled that video. And I uh, copied the heck out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> but, well, um, but no, no, go ahead. your layout video was was really enjoyable johnny and what's great is that i didn't there's nothing special about how i did the video and what's cool about watching yours is that you wouldn't even i didn't even see any similarities because your layout is so you right so it was fun to watch and kind of go into your world and hear about your process and that's what i would encourage anyone to do right is you know tell your own story everybody designed their layout with something in their head right and when you can portray that in the video the way you did, Johnny, because I watched your layout video a couple of times myself because I just enjoyed it. Hearing about the excursion, you know, your your excursion experience that you built on your layout and your modular scenery pieces, which I have incorporated into my own layout. Thanks to hearing you. So, you know, it's, it's a two way street. All of those things, like I say, we all inspire each other in some way. It all comes around. All comes around. But um, yeah, no. Thank you, Chris. I, I really appreciate it. And f- for those of you who have just discovered Chris through the podcast tonight, um, definitely check him out. And I can attest to this. Chris is just as personable off camera as he is on camera. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't uh, fake someone being as genuine as him. Thank you. Well said. Well said, Johnny. Uh, Matt Z, how about yourself? I'm just going to go right along with the crowd here, Johnny. You've, you've said that really well. I mean, to be honest, Chris, he really is a fantastic friend. And I think he's an asset to the hobby. You know, I mean, he's one of those people that, you know, he, he'll he talk just about anything with trains. And, you know, like he's got the collection to prove it, like, like we've talked about. You know, he's got a little bit of everything. And I think that's what makes him cool is, you know, there's something like, to your point that, you know, you, you gravitate towards something and everybody and 
everybody kind of inspires everybody else. And I think that that Chris, you know, uh, one thing I didn't get a chance to say a second ago was one of the things you've kind of inspired me to really look at more is the NPC stuff. I really kind of like that. And I think it's your videos that really kind of bring me to like it a little bit more. So I really got to thank you for that. But no, Chris is very genuine. Like Johnny said, both on and off camera, he is a fantastic guy. Uh, so really big thanks for doing this, Chris. Really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, you're a fantastic guy too, Matt. I appreciate that. And again, you know, you, I would never have looked at some of these engines. I blame you for a lot of the things I've been exploring lately around brass and Proto One control. You know, for those of you who don't know what Proto One is, it's the earliest generation of uh, what MTH's operating system. Is that, is that a good way to say it, Matt? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, had, had I not met Matt and he's, he's so into a lot of these pieces, I would not have even considered it. But when I saw that this Hiawatha that I purchased operated on Proto One, I knew where my lifeline was. I'm like, it's going to be Matt Z. If I have any problems with this thing, I know who to call. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I'll uh, segue right from that and just say, uh, you know, you definitely inspired me to run conventional stuff, even buy conventional stuff, because when I started watching you, uh, honestly, I didn't have, I had a ProSound 1 Pioneer Zephyr, but I didn't really run it all that much. But when I started watching your channel and kind of, you had some shots where which kind of show you on your Z4000 with, with their handles and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm going to dig into this. And, um, you know, I picked up, uh, you know, some inner urbans and I picked up uh, a trolley as well. And I don't know, man, there's just something about moving that throttle up and down on the Z4000. Right? Yeah. Uh, kind of feels kind of good, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely does. And I definitely plan on adding a lot more conventional engines into my fleet and definitely some MPC stuff as well. A little bit of analog in a digital world, you know? Exactly. It's a lot of fun. It's a good break every now and then, too. It is. It is. It's so different. It's so different from picking up a command control remote and doing things to, and then, and then actually just using your transformer to do the power. And it's just, I don't know. There's just something about, something mysterious about it. And it, maybe it's just kind of a throwback or maybe it's just kind of uh, visceral. I don't know that that's that's a good word for it, but um, I don't know. I really have a lot of fun running stuff in conventional now, so I really have to thank you for that. No, absolutely. As weird as it sounds, I feel like it connects you to the engine and the operation. You know, when you put when you put a command engine on that has speed control, you know, you set it to a speed step and it, it'll run that speed forever, right? It, it's like it's like an airplane that flies itself. But when right, you're running exactly. an older train, you know, oh, I got a dead spot in my layout. I got to give it some more throttle over there or whatever it is. You know, you're more connected to the experience of running it. Nope, that's that's it a makes, fantastic way to put it. Makes videos harder, <laughs> especially when you're running a bunch of them together. But it is that I like the experience of doing that. I like to mix it up. I like it all. Chris, <laughs> yes. wa Chris wants an excuse to be Adam Gomez at the throttle again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had that. I had a similar problem. I actually had to uh, program my MTH remote so I could use it to control conventional. Because I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm recording this behind a camera and I have to move different places, how the heck am I going to hit the horn, the bell button? I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, this this is definitely kind of complicates things. But definitely, uh, it's pretty. It's great that you could uh, use your uh, MTH remote to kind of uh, cheat a little bit in the conventional world, so to speak. Oh yes, yeah. As a YouTube creator. Those those conventional run session videos, oh yeah, they take twice as long to record. 
than the others. Yep. All right. Well, Chris, do you have any closing thoughts? I just want to close by first thanking you guys for bringing me onto this podcast. You all keep saying all these nice things about, you know, what, what my channel is doing for the hobby, but it's, it's this community. It's your podcast. It is your all's contributions to YouTube. And just like so many others who are out there doing this, that is what's breathing the life into this hobby. So to all the people who are listening and that are into the hobby, keep doing what you're doing. You know, if you're just getting into it, enjoy the ride. If you've been into it for a long time, enjoy the ride. You know, we're all in it. And I say that it is the greatest hobby in the world. It's done great things for me. It's a creative outlet. I could go on and on about it. So just thank you all for having me on the show. And thank it. thanks to everyone for all the support that they've given. Awesome. And thank you for, yeah. again, thank you for taking the time to come on to our podcast and joining us as a guest. So you're always welcome here in the future as a guest, or if you want to come on to promote anything again, just, you're always welcome here. I appreciate Thanks, that guys. Chris. Thank you, dude. Now with that said, uh, Chris, because you're a guest on our show, we want to make sure that, uh, everyone knows where to find you out there on the internets. So, uh, well, where can people find you? Yep. So you can find me on YouTube at RBP trains. That's RBP as in Reigns Brothers Productions Trains. So search for that. You should find me. You'll see my face holding up trains. You do the same thing every week. My goofy looking smile with a bunch of trains in my hand. So you can find me there. I'm also on Instagram, also at RBP Trains. So if you want a chance to connect, it's great to meet people on Instagram as well. So those are the two, two forms of media where you can find me. Excellent. And Johnny, where can people find you? You can find me at the at my channel on YouTube, Audemus, A-U-D-A-M-U-S. Uh, you'll find me reviewing uh, trains, going on train adventures, getting hit in the faces with boxes, and screaming at things that are inanimate objects. You can also find me on Instagram at Audemus underscore trains. I post there a lot more frequently there because I am a lazy YouTuber. And you can also reach out to me there. I love talking to folks. Recently, I've been talking with my good buddy, Roman's West Coast Trains, and I'd love to meet you as well. Fantastic. Matt Z, where can people find you, sir? You can find me on YouTube under Matt-TrainLover9943. You can also find me on Facebook under the same name. All right, and you can find myself at West Chicago Model Railroad on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook under the same name, and I'm also on Instagram. If you just search up WCMRR, you will find me there. Now, to find our podcast, uh, we are on uh, Podbean, which is our kind of our home base, but you can also find us on your Apple device, on your Apple Podcasts. If you have an Android phone, you can find us in the Google Podcasts. You just do a search for Matt and Matt O'Scale, and we'll pop up. Uh, we can. You can also find us on YouTube. So anytime we put out a new episode, uh, you know that will pop up and feed into our YouTube channel. Again, YouTube. You can search up Matt Matt O'Scale Train Podcast, and we'll be there. Uh, and we are also on Facebook. So uh, we have def definitely several social outlets for you to reach out to us. If you have any questions about anything, we really enjoy feedback from folks. Uh, let us know how you're liking the podcast. If you have any thoughts about maybe uh, content for future episodes, if you want to know about something, please let us know. We're very, very open to feedback on this podcast. So with that said, uh, everyone have a wonderful night. Take care. See Thank you. Guys. you.